0: Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to uh, Lighthouse Community, where uh, we help people say yes to Jesus. My name is Fritz Bielow, I'm one of the pastors here. Super glad you're here. I want to say welcome to everybody here in the house, especially our guests. And then I do want to say welcome to Bluffton community, our Fostoria launch team, everybody and our online campus, uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned. uh, There's all kinds of ways for you to engage. I would encourage you to consider taking the next step. uh, If you're with us on our online campus, it could be joining a small group, uh, could be being part of a ministry team. We actually have some people uh, who are in other regions uh, who are a part of ministry serving online. So I just encourage you to check that out. Take that next step and uh, be a part of what's going on here at Lighthouse Community. So um, there is this account in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus um, comes into the city of Jericho. And as he's coming into the city of Jericho, there's a guy there by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, maybe you know, maybe you've heard of Zacchaeus before, right? There's a, there's a hit song uh, about him, right? <laughs> um, but uh, so the thing about Zacchaeus is this. Um, he was well known in his hometown of Jericho. Uh, he was well known as a tax collector. He was known as a cheat. He was known as a traitor, uh, and he was he was tiny, right? Uh, and so when Jesus came into town, he wanted to, hey, don't make, I heard that. You know, it said, hey, Zacchaeus is up there right now, right? No, <laughs> uh, no just kidding. Um, but so uh, Jesus comes into town, and Zacchaeus can't see, right? He's trying to catch over top of people's shoulders. He can't. So he climbs up into a tree so that he can see Jesus. Um, And so Jesus is walking by, and all of the hubbub and the craziness is taking place, and he looks up, and he sees Zacchaeus up there, and essentially, he just invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house for lunch, right? Apparently, Jesus never got that lesson on manners. Uh, You don't invite yourself to sleep over at a friend's house, you know, right? Wait until they ask you. Uh, But Jesus did that, and um, Zacchaeus and Jesus and many others are over at Zacchaeus' house, and they have lunch together, and we don't know everything that happened during that moment, or during that afternoon and that day, but we do know that towards the end of their time together, Zacchaeus stands up in front of everybody, and he says this, he says, I'm giving half of everything I own to the poor, and I'll repay four times to anyone that I've cheated, Right? I, I, I've spent my life stealing, I've spent my life cheating, I've spent my life focused on myself, and now I'm going to live a life of generosity. I'm going I'm to repay those that I've hurt, and I'm going to help those who are without. And, and maybe that story is very common for you, and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. But one of the questions that I have every time I read and come across the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus is this. How does somebody who spent a life driven by greed in one afternoon move to overwhelming generosity? Sacrificial generosity even. How does that happen in one afternoon? And I think the answer is clear. I think the answer is this. That's what Jesus does, right? That's that's what Jesus does when God's grace comes on the scene. When God's grace comes on the scene, that he's really the only one who can transform a greedy person into a generous person. That Jesus is the only one that can turn a self-centered person into a Jesus-centered disciple. No one else can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Now, I want you to think about this question. You don't need to answer it out loud, but I just want you to think about it in your mind for a second. How do you define generosity? Think about that question for a second. How do you define generosity? What does generosity look like to you? Okay, we're going to take just a quick survey. Now, I want you to raise your hand if when I ask you how you define generosity, how many of you thought in terms of money? Just raise your hand. You're like, yep, I was thinking in terms of money, finances, things along those lines. Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right. Um, How many of you, when you're thinking about generosity, you thought about it in terms of time? Raise your hand if you thought about time. Great. Okay. How many of you thought in terms of like uh, giving uh, possessions or giving gifts or things like that? Raise your hand if that was you. You were thinking about giving something away. Okay, good. Uh, Anybody else besides me thinking in terms of food? Uh, that's, that's, where, <laughs> that's where I went. I was thinking, I'm always thinking about that. Uh, but um, yeah, <laughs> so, I got a I cheer <laughs> over here. <laughs> uh, there's another one. There we go. Um, so the reason I bring that up is there's a lot of ways to think about generosity. A lot of times when we think about generosity or we think about giving, uh, very quickly uh, we tend to go towards finances. But there's different forms of generosity. And just like there's different forms of generosity, there's actually different ways to approach generosity as well. You know, they'll say, you know, that can have on you at the time. You you may hear this about somebody who's a a generous person. They'll say, you know, that guy right there, he he will give you the... yes, and you're like, wow, thank you. But you can go ahead and put it back on because I, I have my own shirt, <laughs> right? But thank you, that's very kind, um, right? Others, uh, you give very spontaneously. You're at the register and, and in that moment, you choose to give a couple of bucks, right? You add it onto the end of your total to, to some cause or whatever. Others, of you, you know, you throw things in the Salvation uh, Army bucket, um, right? That's one. And then there's other people. Other people give and they're more kind of like in, in very thoughtful, long-term planning They're thinking about how what they have can be maximized over time. And so they think about generosity more in a long-term giving way, right? And so there's lots of different ways. There's ways to approach it. And a lot of times, you might not realize this, but generosity often gets shaped by our priorities. Generosity gets shaped by our priorities. So if your primary goal is taking care of your family, that will shape how you view generosity, right? You'll think in those terms. If, uh, if one of your primary goals is to travel uh, the country or to travel the world, that will shape the way that you view and you understand generosity, right? Um, if your most important value is to serve God, that will direct the way that you give as well right? And so our priorities shape our generosity. And so I think for disciples of Jesus, when you're thinking about the different ways to give, the different ways of thinking about giving, you know, priorities, all of that, I think for disciples of Jesus, it's probably less important about what we think about generosity, okay? And I think the the more important question for us to ask is this. How does God understand generosity? How does God understand generosity? And how does that understanding play out in my life? What does that look like in my own life? Because when you, when you see that God is the ultimate giver, God is the absolute ultimate giver. Think about this. God has given us this remarkable universe that we have not even begun to plumb the depths of, right? We understand a speck of what God has already created. Um, God has given us life, and he's given us absolutely everything we need to live uh, in this world. God sustains our world, and he literally keeps us from exploding into atomic chaos at any moment. Think about that. Um, As humans, God has put his image within us. He's been generous with that. Um, God has given us the understanding of who he is through the scriptures, right? God has solved our greatest problem that any of us have ever faced. No one gives like God, right? No one gives like God, and no one can outgive God, no matter what we think. And quite frankly, without God's generosity, we would not even really have a hint of what true giving really looks like. Right? He's, the, he's the baseline for it. He set that standard. And so what I'd like you to do is I would like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. That's kind of towards the back of the Bible. Um, It's a short letter back there. You can click over to 1 John chapter 3. Um, Today, we're actually in the last week, we're landing the plane in our series called The Overflow of Grace. And, And we've been kind of talking about stewardship from the standpoint of grace. So if you were here last week, you know that we discovered um, how to manage our spiritual gifts, um, what that looks like, and we use them for God's glory to serve other people. Two weeks ago, uh, we learned how to manage our relationships, how to love one another with unselfish commitment. And all of that was founded on week one when we talked about just what is grace, right? Because we had to start at that place first, God's gift of love and mercy through Jesus. Because God's grace really is the foundational place For an understanding of biblical stewardship. Because without it, what ends up happening, if we bypass grace and go directly to stewardship, what ends up happening is we start to view stewardship kind of from this hard-hearted, even this miserly standpoint, um, as opposed to walking in it with joy um, and expectation that God's going to do something really remarkable and open-handed. So I would encourage you, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, um, you should really go back and watch those. Uh, because they really do build on one another, they're kind of foundational one, uh, one another to get us where we are today. And so today we're talking about generosity. So First uh, John chapter three, I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, uh, but you can follow along in the version that you have, or you can follow with me on the screen. And it says this: uh, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. For the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, There's a couple of truths that I think we've got to pull out of here to help us understand generosity from God's perspective. The first one is this, is that Jesus' generosity reveals true love, Jesus' generosity reveals true love. And so by what John does is he points, right? In verse 16, he points to the greatest act of generosity ever, right? That's ever been made. And John says, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done. Now because of him, we understand what real love actually looks like. And basically what John is saying is, do you, do you know, do you want to know what real love looks like? You want to know what true generosity looks like? Look at the death of Jesus on the cross. Look at that sacrifice. That will give you a clear image of what real love looks like. And, and so to really appreciate what has happened with Christ and what he has done, you really do have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the beginning when God gave humanity everything we could have ever needed. That's where it starts. God creating us and God providing for us absolutely everything we could ever need. He gives us this creation. He puts his image in us. He gives us a relationship with himself. And in the process of that, he says, there's one guideline, one guideline within all of that. I'm going to ask you to prohibit from doing this one thing, right? And, and Adam and Eve went right after that one thing, right? Adam and Eve, they blew it, right? They blew it. And in breaking that one guideline, in choosing to live life under their own leadership instead of living under God's leadership, they broke relationship with God and death came rushing into this creation like floodwaters, covering all of creation, and by the way, I know some of us kind of look very uh, judgmentally at Adam and Eve. You would have done the same thing. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. Actually, Adam and Eve probably lasted longer than I would have, <laughs> right? We're talking about generosity. I'm thinking about food, right? Like, there we go, right? I'm already there and in that place. But so Adam and Eve, right? They're, they're like our representatives, but we're in that too. And, and so we've, we've deeply hurt God with our sin, and so you have to understand that. It's not like, oh, well, not a big deal. No, we've deeply, we've deeply offended God with our sin. And so because of that, God would have been completely right. God would have been completely right to cut us out of his life, to let us float off into the darkness, into chaos and destruction, right? But he didn't. He didn't do that. Instead, God solved our greatest problem by giving his son, Jesus Christ. Now, why did he do that? Now, very often, if you've asked that question, you've heard that question be asked, very quickly, the jump goes to, well, because he loves us. And that's not wrong. But I would say that's incomplete. It's not only because God loves us. I think you have to ask the question, well, why does he love us? Well, because we're created in his image. Yes, that's true. But why did he create us in his image? Right. And you begin to follow the pathway and you consistently ask why. And when you begin to ask why and you get all the way to the point where you can't ask why anymore, you realize this. Why did God give us Jesus Christ to solve our greatest problem? It's because that's who he is. That's his character. He's, he's giving. He's generous. God is not selfish. In fact, God is unselfishly committed to his creation, especially to his creation that carries his image, right? That's the real why behind all of this. And so John is saying, do you want to see a true picture of love? Because because you're not going to find it in romance novels, You're not going to find the truest picture of love in some of the most moving songs that our culture has to offer. You're not going to find the truest picture of love on the movie screen. In fact, the most genuine picture of love you and I will ever see is that of Jesus Christ. He's the truest expression of love, and that came through his generosity, laying down his life for us. And so John basically says after gazing upon Christ and after experiencing his genuine love and his generosity in our own lives, John then makes this point, right? He says this, in in light of what Christ has done, Christians should also show love through generosity, right? And so John's basically, do you see what Jesus did for you? Do, Do you see his generosity, Because now that you recognize what Christ has done for you and you see his giving, now you and I can give as well. And so our motivation for generosity is actually God's grace. Our motivation is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, because if it's anything else, generosity turns very selfish. It goes inward very quickly and becomes very self-centered if it's motivated by anything else. And so disciples give because Jesus already gave, right? We don't give in hopes that he will. We give because he already did. And so what John does is he says, look at the most amazing, the greatest act of generosity, the greatest act of giving that's ever been accomplished, right? He, He shines a light on that. And then in the process, you know what happens when you see the greatest act of generosity? Every other form of giving and generosity now becomes within reach. That's what John's doing here. He's going, you and I could never do what Jesus has done. But now because of Jesus, we can can do these other things, right, empowered by the Spirit. And, And what John does is he gets really practical, Right? He wrote this. He says, if you have the means and can help another Christian who's in need, he says, do that. Give. Right. Help. Right? Uh, Act, do something. And so he's making this really clear point. Actually, theologian uh, C.G. Cruz wrote this. He says, believers will know they belong to the truth when their love finds practical expression in helping those in need. He's like, that's when you start to see the gospel start flowing out of your life, when you begin serving other people, um, not because you're required to, but only because you can right and you see the need and you're moved by the generosity of Christ to help other people in fact john makes this really short but powerful argument he says this if you can help if you're in christ and you can help but you won't help you haven't experienced the love of christ that's what he says That's what he's saying there in 16, 17, and 18, right? If you have the capacity to help, if you're in Christ and you can help, but you won't help, you haven't experienced the love of Christ. In fact, he says, listen, you might have actually fallen into a lesser form of religion. It looks Christian. It has the form of Christianity on the outside, but it's it's lacking real substance. It's lacking genuine power, right? It's not real. And so two things could be true. One, you're you're simply not of faith, right? It could be that you never actually came to faith in Jesus, but rather you've been putting your trust in religion. That's one possibility. The other possibility could be this. It could also be that you are of faith, but this is an area you still need to grow. This is an area that God is calling you up into. But either way, whether you're not of faith or you are, this is an opportunity to trust God. That's what John's saying. You have an opportunity to either trust yourself yourself or you trust the lord that's the decision point here right in fact that's what john meant when he wrote he said little children let's love indeed and let's love in truth what he means is that love that does love that acts love that blesses that's true love That's genuine love. See, Jesus-style love goes beyond words, it goes beyond feelings, it goes beyond messages, and it actually moves into real action. And so generosity is actually God's love expressed through giving. And that's the kind of love that Jesus invites his disciples into, right? That kind of giving love. And so finally, John gives this insight into a barrier that every disciple is going to face at some point. It's, this, it's our third truth, actually. He's saying this. Listen, know that the heart may resist generosity. Know that the heart may actually resist generosity. And so if you're a believer, you've got Jesus' generosity flowing to you. You've got Jesus' generosity flowing in you, right? flowing to others. And John says that's a sign that we belong to Jesus. But John also, he's really clear about this. He says, listen, sometimes our hearts are actually going to resist an opportunity to give. Our hearts will actually, he uses the word condemn, okay, in verse 20. So he says, uh, actually, our hearts will condemn us sometime. Now, that word condemn comes out of like the legal world, right? Where you're talking about like prosecution and verdicts and judgments and, and all of that kind of stuff. That's where that word comes out of. And essentially, what John says is sometimes when we're moved to generosity by the Holy Spirit, our hearts will set up a prosecution against us, our hearts will begin to bicker with us. Trying to convince us that generosity doesn't make sense. Don't do it. Listen, don't do it. You can't. You can't do it. All right. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, well, even listen. Even if you are going to do it, make sure somebody notices. Okay. Make sure you get some kind of credit somehow. Somebody gives you a high five. Somebody does something. Right. You can't just give away. And as you're moved to generosity, sometimes your heart is going to make a case against it. It's going to say it doesn't make sense to give to someone else. How do you know what they're going to do with it? How, how do you know that they're going to use that? Well, I mean, what about you? You're stealing from your family. You're stealing from your vacation. You're stealing from your plans. And so your heart knows you, so it will play strings that actually get you thinking, going, oh, well, that's a good point. That's true. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, And it'll actually, your heart will begin to, like, get you to question at a deep level that'll make you wonder, is this really a wise thing for me to do, to give generously like this? And so you need. John says you need to know that there are going to be times, not every time, but there are going to be times for every single disciple where your heart actually resists the generosity that God is calling you to. That's what John is saying here. So what do we do? What do you do with that? Well, this is what I think John would say. John would say this sometimes, when your heart is resisting against God's generosity, sometimes you've got to persuade your heart to give anyway. Sometimes you've just got to persuade your heart to give, right? So like when your heart is in mid-argument, it's reaching the crescendo of the prosecution, then at some point you've got to step in and just go, objection! And you persuade your heart to generosity. Now, why, why is there this battle present within us with regards to generosity? Why is that there? Well, some people, they think about it, and and they'll kind of blame it on their upbringing. They'll say, you know, I grew up poor. I grew up without, and I just never want to be in that position again where where I'm like, I can't make choices, and so I can't do that to my family. I can't do that to myself, so I can't give at that kind of a level. Okay, I get it. So people struggle with generosity because they grew up poor. What about the people who struggle with generosity that grew up wealthy? What's, what's the stance there, right? Those who struggle with greed and generally resist generosity, but, but they grew up in a very stable, even a very wealthy household. What about them? The issue, see, the issue isn't really about what socioeconomic strata you came out of. That's not the core issue here. Uh, some people struggle with generosity, but really it's only towards the church. That's actually where the struggle is for some, right? For some, what's happened is you've been guilted, You've been manipulated by other churches, and so you're resistant towards giving, to ministry. In fact, once you realize today that we were talking about generosity and giving, some feelings started to well up within you. And you started going, oh man, I knew it was coming. Here, let's, right, let's dance, right? And like, you're ready to go, Right? You're angry that we're talking about giving. And you're wondering, okay, great. When's the other shoe drop? When does the manipulation begin? When does all that start to take place? But the real issue isn't your past. That's not the real issue. The real issue isn't how much money you make right now. Actually, the real issue isn't even about money at all. It's not about money, actually. John exposes where the battle... Do you know where the battle really lies? You know where the battle of generosity really lies? John already exposed it. The battle lies in your heart. This lies for every one of us. That's where it is. This is where Jeremiah 17 becomes really, really helpful for us. Jeremiah 17 says this. It's not the most encouraging verse in the world, but it's true. (laughs) And I think it's helpful to know this. Let's do this. Let's actually read this verse out loud together. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, starting with, The heart is deceitful. Are you Ready? go. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Does it make you feel good? <laughs> Does it make you feel really good? Yeah, it's saying our hearts are sick. Our hearts are sick. And if you're in Christ, listen, you're a new creation. There's no doubt about it. And your heart and your mind and all of those things are in the process of being renewed. Right? It's still there they are not been fully perfected yet. There's still bumpy terrain in your heart. You know, that's actually the word deceitful in Jeremiah 17.9. That's what it means, deceitful. It means it's bumpy terrain. It's like, it's like a mountain, right? It means that it's uneven, that there are boulders and caverns, that sin still lurks, and when you least expect, it pops out, right? And it's there. And you're like, where did that come from? Oh, it's in the bumpy terrain of your heart. Because your heart's not perfected yet. And there's a battle waging between trusting self and trusting God. Now, we have a bent towards self-preservation. That's not a bad thing. I actually think God gave that to us, right? So we wouldn't do stupid stuff. (laughs) It's it's just a a built-in tripwire. And it's good. It's good. So we have a bent towards self-preservation. But what's happened is that self-preservation has grown out of control under sin, and it's moved over into self-comfort. And that's really the base battle of the heart. It's really about comfort and about control. It's not about self-preservation. It's about comfort and control. Uh, during, uh, during kind of the height of COVID shutdowns, um, I had an international friend reach out to me. And uh, very humbly, he asked, can, can you help me? Uh, my family is in a very, very bad position right now in the uh, part of the world they were living in. And so immediately, my heart is I'm like, yes, yes, we will help. Let me talk to my wife, Christina. Uh, we will talk about it. But yes, uh, I believe that we will help. Now, what was amazing was in between our conversation and the time that I got to Christina, my heart was already setting up the prosecution, right? My heart is going, well, hey, this is very noble. This is very good of you to do. But you don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. You don't know what's going to happen in your own country. You don't know what's going to happen in your own city. You don't know what's going to happen in your finances. How are you going to send something down to someone else? And you don't even know what's going to happen. I don't know if this is a great idea. And so what is beginning to happen is that over time, right, very quickly, like the original number that I thought we were given was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, Right? And so finally I realized what was happening. And I was going to, no, no, no if, if I go any further than this, I know we're not going to give anything at all. We're just going to convince ourselves right out of it. So I went like immediately to Christina, and I said, hey, this is the opportunity. This is what's in front of us. What do you think? So we talked about it. We prayed about it, and we, we both agreed it would be good for us to give and to help, and so we did. And in the process, we invited a couple friends that we knew who also knew this, uh, this other friend who was living internationally and said, hey, would you like to join us in giving? And so we did, right? And we were able to help, and we were able to serve this brother and his family. Now, When I think about that whole process, you know, one, we got to serve another believer and encourage him. But the other thing that happened in that is God was glorified through the process in the battle. And here's the last thing, is I learned how to resist my heart when my heart started pushing back on opportunities that God put in front of me, right? I learned how to battle against my bickering heart in that moment, right? So how do I persuade my heart? My heart. What does that look like? How do I do that? Well, you know, John actually already revealed the process. It's there in the passages. You start where John started. Where did John start? He said, now we know what real love is by looking to Christ. Look what Christ is. And you know what John is saying? He's saying, look to the gospel. Look at the gospel. Remind yourself. Right? Let the Holy Spirit remind you of what Christ has already given you. Remind yourself of what Christ has already done for you. This, this ultimate act of generosity that nobody else could match. Look, look on that. Think deeply on that. Preach the gospel to yourself. And so you begin by reminding yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has already done. And you begin to see that anything God asks you to do is nowhere near to what Christ has already done. Right? Everything else comes in reach because of that. Because as you're preaching the gospel to yourself, as you're reminding yourself of the gospel, you're also reminding yourself of your new identity in Christ. Right? And, and what happens is you go, okay, my old identity, this was all about me taking care of me, trusting my abilities, right? trusting my own capacities, putting trust in myself. But my new identity in Christ, I trust God, and God takes care of me. And I, and, I, and I trust God's abilities and his wisdom. That's why John says, he reminds you, you know God knows everything, right? That's why he puts that in there. You know the God that you're trusting? He knows everything. In fact, he knows everything so much, he may have actually brought you to this point to expose you to yourself. To hit that point in generosity where your heart goes... I don't know about this, right? Because some of us, you're going, you're going, hey, I'm a very generous person. I actually don't struggle with generosity at all. You haven't hit the point yet. You will. Every disciple hits the moment, hits the point. Because there comes a moment for every one of us where the opportunity for generosity is too big. It's too much. It's too far for me. You know, Jesus faced that moment Jesus faced that moment. Do you, do you know when it got exposed? Do you know when Jesus got exposed, like started wondering, this might be too much generosity for me? You know where that came out? In Gethsemane. Jesus is there and he's praying. Do you remember his prayer? His prayer is this essentially, Father, this seems like too much. If there is another way to accomplish your will without doing What I know is getting ready to happen. Can we do that? Right? Jesus hit that moment. He hit the moment that you and every one of us, we will hit as well. And in that moment, then you have a choice. You have a choice at that moment, right? You either resist what God has for you and you trust your heart, or you pray Jesus' prayer on the end of that. You remember Jesus' prayer at the end of that? but father not my will but yeah you know, that was that breakthrough moment for Jesus going this seems like too much but i trust you and i trust your will more than anything else and so what you do is you actually make your heart subject to god rather than yourself subject to your heart See, that's what's happening here. That's what John's talking about. Now, I know that this flies in the face of what a lot of us grew up learning. It flies in the face against our culture's primary teaching, right? And in the 1980s, Roxette put out a wonderful song, right? So you know exactly what I'm talking about right now, so you need to go Google it. But but listen, (laughs) there we go, there we go. She was wrong. She was dead wrong. Don't listen to your heart. It's it, right? Okay, thank you, Steve. Yeah, yeah, some of you guys are going, oh, okay, all right, I get it now. Yeah, they're catching up. There you go. I live in that world, baby, right? (laughs) Sometimes I'll amend the the words to that as I'm singing along, right? Don't listen to your heart. (laughs) Right? You can't. You can't. It's sick. It's wicked. It's deceitful. There's bumpy terrain in your heart. Because when you're in Christ, your heart's not your leader anymore. When you're in Christ, your gut's not your leader anymore. When you're in Christ, your feelings aren't your lead, isn't your leader anymore. Who's your leader? Christ. He's my forgiver, and he's my leader, and I follow him. I trust God. And when I do that, I get to be witness to some of the most remarkable things that he does. Listen, love always gets played out in action. And a lot of times, that action is generosity. That's what Christ invites his disciples into, right? Now, just very quickly, I want to pull back the curtain on the days and the weeks that are coming ahead. Listen, God has given our church a really, really big vision. I mean, a massive vision. We have a vision not for our church, but for our county. When we think about ministry, we think in terms of tens of thousands of people who live in our region who do not know who Jesus Christ is, and we believe every single one of them should at least have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus Christ. Now, to do that, we think that takes a lot of New Testament churches to pull that off in the region, right? And so what's happened is within the last six months, God has opened up a door for Lighthouse Community for for us to be able to purchase 10.7 acres on County Road 99 right near I-75, right? Very amazing opportunity. I'd love to one day tell you about the whole story behind that. It's absolutely remarkable. And we believe that God is leading us to build a new ministry center on County Road 99. Now, this new location actually puts a church where there are no churches, there's no churches in that area. You need to know that. This new location will put a church family right in the middle where about 500 new homes are going to be built over the next few years. This new location puts a disciple-making center right off the interstate highway. This new location will provide actual room for kids to gather without doing this. Right? This new location will actually provide a place for our students to gather that's not 350 feet away. They'll actually be in the same building. Now, you can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But nonetheless, it's going to take place right? There's going to be classrooms to train people on how to study the Bible, to train them how to pray, how to share their faith, how to discover their gifts, and to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, right? This new location will be a gateway for additional New Testament churches to launch in our region. This new location will help people say yes to Jesus. And so soon for all of us here in the house, at Living Hope, at Bluffton Community, our online campus, Faustoria, right? All of us are going to have the opportunity to partner together with generosity to help others in need of the gospel. Now, this is a huge vision. It's large. And it's gonna take us resisting our hearts when our hearts push back against generosity. And instead, trusting God's leadership to see it accomplished. But listen, even though this vision is large, God is greater. God is greater, right? This this is what John is saying at the end of that. He's saying, listen, and even in the midst of all this, this this act of generosity, the serving other people, God is greater. He's greater than anything else, and He's the reward, and He's the joy. And God knows everything. And so because of him, generosity can be the supernatural outflow of his grace in our lives. So I wanna invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I want you to simply ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me through this message? And then I just wanna give you an opportunity to listen. want to pray for you here at lighthouse community and so here's what's going to happen we're going to sing the band's going to sing one more song and we're going to have prayer leaders who are going to be available in each corner of the room we'll have one up here by the cross we've got one who's going there now we've got one over here by the baptism tank one by the sound booth we'll have one by the door so you can't get out until you pray right? No, now i'm just kidding but we do this because we believe deeply in the ministry of prayer god does amazing things through prayer that that's actually the only place where it happens and so please don't ever feel embarrassed. Don't ever feel awkward about going to talk to somebody and to pray with somebody about an area in your life because every single one of us needs prayer, right? Maybe even now you're recognizing, man, my heart is resisting this idea of generosity and the fact that we are even talking about this, right? That may be an opportunity to pray and just be honest about that. Maybe you're gonna ask God for, for the uh, ability to see right, what he sees and to lean into that, But no matter what, I want to invite you to pray. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and and go to one of the corners as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.